Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, and John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. From John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the word of God. Amen. Yeah. Hi. Let's start over. My name's Brad. I'm the pastor over at Ballard. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, would you pray with me uh, real quick? Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for another day of sunshine. It's been a while. Um, we thank you that there's a spring coming. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Oftentimes we get so wrapped up in other things that we forget about him. Uh, we forget about him being the whole reason why we're even doing this right now. Lord, would you guide our thoughts this morning? May we be ever aware of your uh, Spirit's presence in us, through us, and around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How many of you all have traditions? Yeah? Like, just shout some out. The holidays. Christmas traditions. Okay, anything else? Easter, Thanksgiving, like eating turkey and football? Yes, that's my favorite one. Anyone else? Birthday tradition? What's your birthday tradition? We have a big thing that we hang up that says happy birthday. That's awesome. Can you come do that for my birthday? That'd be great. April 17th, day after Easter. Uh, traditions. Now, how many of you have traditions, and we might not do so public of a, a thing here, how many of you all have traditions that you really don't know why you do that? We're, we're, some of us are laughing and going, yes, and I saw an elbow. We have, my family had traditions. Here's a cool one. On Christmas, my dad would always hide the gift that he got us kids. Uh, and he'd make this very, very long scavenger hunt for us to find them. We'd go all over, sometimes the neighborhood, to find them. And they would lead to another clue. They would eventually lead back to where we started and somewhere under the couch where we were sitting. And, but he did this, and it was fun every year. Every year he did this, and it was a good time. I think the reason he did that was so that he can get first dibs on mom's cinnamon rolls when they came out of the oven while us kids were all around doing our thing. That's what dad did. There was another tradition around Christmas. This one made no sense, but we did it every year. One year, it's how, this is how it started. One year, we went out to this place called Chino in California. If any of you are familiar with Chino in California, Fornia, not you, California, uh, it's, it's a dairy farm. It used to be a big dairy farm. The whole city was just cows and dairy, and it smelled. Uh, and so we used to, we, one night, we decided Christmas Eve, we're going to go look at Christmas lights in Chino. Okay. I was like six or eight or something like that. And so I just went along with whatever my parents told me to go, and we went. And we couldn't find any. Shocking. It's not like they put lights on cows. But we, we went out there. We drove around for hours. And very rare those days, it was raining on Christmas Eve. And so we were driving around looking for 
Christmas lights in Chino on Christmas Eve, and we couldn't find any. And Dad, who was a, a walking Thomas Guide map back in the day, got lost, which was itself funny. And so we're lost in the rain in cow country where it stinks. And then we're now it's getting late, and we're looking for something to eat. And every restaurant we went to was closed. It was, it was almost like the Christmas story. There's no room in this restaurant. There's no room in this restaurant. We're trying to find a place. But we couldn't find anywhere. Even Denny's, who always is open, was closed. And we're driving through, and we're in the back seat. There's four of us kids, and one's in the front. I'm in the front next to mom and dad. And the three of my older, older siblings were in the back, and they're having the argument of, Scott touched me. Well, Bob did this, and Robin did that. And so that's all happening. And so we ended up going to some dive bar called Kino's, tells you the classy joint of that place, and having Christmas Eve dinner. I had a hot dog because hot dogs are amazing. And, and this, is, this is how it started. Now, every year after that, guess what we tried to recreate? <laughs> Getting lost, finding uh, Christmas lights. But once you found the Christmas lights, it's, kinda, it's hard to get lost. And, it's hard. and so we tried to recreate this thing, and we started going through the motions of what we do on Christmas Eve, trying to recreate something that could never be really recreated. And the tradition lost its magic, and it ended up being more stressful because it was more about their tradition than it ever was what actually happened, which was a fun memory for us to remember as a family. In John 7 through chapter 9, actually it begins in chapter 6, there's a big tradition happening in, in the Jewish culture of that day. There's three major holidays in, in, in the Jewish calendar. There's Passover, which comes in, in the, in the in, I'm sorry, Passover comes in the spring, and, and that's where they, they celebrate being uh, released from Egypt, the Exodus, and that's where they celebrate God delivering them from the Red Sea. Then the next one they, that they have, in the summer they have the Pentecost festival. Pentecost is when they celebrate uh, God coming down on Sinai. It's the first time God publicly addresses people, his whole nation. This is the first time God speaks to them all at one time. He gives them the law. And is this, is they celebrate this, it, 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 they have a Pentecost festival in the spring. It's also around our time where we have Easter because that's when Jesus rose from the dead and freed us all from ours, and it's, he speaks to us. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And then the last one they have is in the autumn, and it's called the Festival of Booths. In some places, it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. This is when they'd celebrate the 40 years of God's provision and care while they're in the wilderness. Now, the first two were very important holidays or, or festivals. They're all a week long, and these ones were awesome. But the favorite one was the Festival of Booths. It's much like ours, you know, Easter is, is a sign of victory over sin and death. Thanksgiving is being thankful for everything you have and awkward family conversations. And then, but we all really, really, really like Christmas because we get stuff. And so their, their first, those first two festivals were the most important ones, but they really liked the festival of booths. Because here's what they did for a week long, starting on Sabbath, ending on Sabbath, they would go out to their front yards and they would build a booth. We might call it a tent. They would go on their roof, they would go into the local parks, they would go into their front yards, and for a week, they would live in that booth. It was to remind them that for 40 years, they lived in tents as they walked through the wilderness, and God took care of every single one of their needs. 
That holiday actually might take off here in Seattle. We all like camping so much. Everyone would be like, yes, let's all camp in our front yard. But there, this was their favorite holiday. And so Jesus comes. During that holiday, they would celebrate the bread that came, the manna. Jesus comes in chapter 6 and says, I'm, I'm the bread. And then, in chapter, and then after they celebrate the bread, they would celebrate the water. They would dump out water every day, how God provided water from this rock and gave us water when we were thirsty in the middle of the desert. Jesus comes in chapter 7 and says, I'm that living water. And then in chapter 8, where we'll get to today, they, the end of the festival, the last day, they would light these huge candelabras in the courts of the temple, and it would draw people into the temple. Jesus stands up in the middle of that and says, I'm the light. And so John is doing something here in the passage. He's saying that everything that these traditions that Israel had were all pointing to something, but they were missing what they were pointing to. We have these traditions in our faith. We have these traditions in our family. And sometimes we fall into the same trap that they did. The traditions become more about the the tradition than what it is actually pointing towards. My tradition that we grew up with, with going to Christmas lights, was a tradition pointing to an awesome family experience that we all remember. But pretty soon it became more about the tradition than it did the experience. The light that they were celebrating was a light that guided them for 40 years. But the light that they were celebrated pointed them to something else. The light that they were looking for was actually a person standing right in their midst. And today I want to look at, your bulletins have a different sort of outline. Today I want to look at three aspects of light. So you might have to do some pencil scratching if you're keeping notes. I'm going to look at three aspects of light and what they mean for us today. The first, I want to look at how how light exposes things in us. The second aspect of light I want to see is how light guides us. And the third one is how light is actually a comfort. The first one is light exposes. Earlier in chapter 7, the whole story starts with Jesus not wanting to go to the temple. He had had a bad experience. His people were saying, Jesus, go and you'll show everybody about what you do. You'll show everyone your power. His brothers were saying this. And Jesus is like, not my time hasn't come yet. And I don't want to go up to the temple yet because they're trying to kill me, which is a good reason not to go somewhere. And so Jesus is saying, no, 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 I don't want to go to the temple right now. I don't want to participate in this festival at this moment. It's not going to be good. My time hasn't come is what he's saying. It's not time yet for them to kill me. That'll come later. But halfway through the festival, Jesus shows up. He comes in disguise, the text says. I don't know what kind of disguise, but I see Jesus walking around with his nose and glasses, things like, don't look at me, I'm not here. Everyone's looking for him, but Jesus doesn't want to go. And when he finally goes, he goes in disguise. And then finally, when the, t- when the festival is half over, Jesus has had it. He takes off his disguise and he starts teaching. Now, they were looking for him. They did want to kill him. They were pretty mad at him. So when they realize he's there, the keepers of the law decide to come and start questioning him. The keepers of the law were, had this law, and it was a good thing that they were trying to do. They had a law around every law that they had. It was called the hedge of the law. The law was in the middle, and they built like a boundary around this law. And so one of their major laws that they had was, was one that came from God. It says, keep the Sabbath holy. That was the law. But what they did, and for good reason, they built laws around the law. 
So if, you, if the law in, in Leviticus is keep the Sabbath holy, don't work. So the Pharisees or the, the keepers of the law that day said, not only don't you work, don't look in a mirror because you'll be tempted, maybe one of you will be tempted to pluck a hair out. And if you do that, that's harvesting, therefore you're working, so don't do that. And so they made laws like this. Don't spit on the ground because it might go into the ground and cause a seed to give a a little bit of uh, water and the seed will go, therefore now you are planting, don't spit on the ground. And so they made all these laws around the law, and for good reason. They didn't keep the law of the Sabbath back in the old, old days, and they were sent into exile for it. It was one of the major reasons why. And so they didn't want to make the same mistake again. So they made laws around the laws. And here comes Jesus. Earlier in chapter 5, he had healed somebody. Someone was sitting by a pool. And then Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the guy says, uh-huh. And Jesus says, then get it, take up your mat and walk. Now, it was on the Sabbath day he did that. And the Pharisees were very upset. He worked on the Sabbath because it's a lot of work to heal somebody. Now here comes Jesus. It's the Sabbath day again. He starts teaching, and they already have a bone to pick with him. And in the temple, they say, who is this uneducated person, and where did he learn all this stuff? And they're talking about Jesus, trying to discredit him. And Jesus says, I learned it from my Father, who is God. And if you guys knew the law that you're teaching, you would get it. You would understand what I'm doing, and you wouldn't be trying to kill me. And then in John 7, 20, they respond, you are demon-possessed, which is the proper response when someone disagrees with you, right? <laughs> you don't like this, you're demon-possessed. You, you thought you liked this music, you're demon-possessed. You don't like Chick-fil-A, you might be demon-possessed. But that's, that's their response, you're demon-possessed. Who is trying to kill you? And Jesus says to them, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were all amazed Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually, and this is in parentheses, though actually it wasn't from Moses, it was from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so the law that Moses will not be broken, why are you arguing angry with me over healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and instead judge correctly." This was a loaded parenthetical statement, the one about Moses, you, you celebrate, you do circumcision because Moses gave it to you. It wasn't Moses who gave them circumcision. Circumcision started with Abraham. And Jesus, by saying that, and John, by putting it in the text, shows us how far off these keepers of the law actually were. Well, we do this because of Moses, and Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're so steeped in your tradition. You're so steeped in the way that you do things that you've forgotten the way that you do things. He healed somebody on the Sabbath, which is a good thing. Sabbath was meant for restoration and wholeness and wellness. This man couldn't walk. Jesus heals him. That's a good thing. And they're calling it bad. Yet they'll do something because they say Moses did it. Yeah, Moses did it, but it started with Abraham. Basically, Jesus is saying, you guys don't even know what you're standing for. You're so steeped in the way you do things that you don't know why you do things. You've hitched your faith to a tradition that you don't understand. 
And it's really easy to stop here and go, yeah, they don't get it. It's easy to pick on, on, on the Israelites of that day, on the Judeans of that day. It's easy to. But we do the same thing. Being near a Bible doesn't equal being biblical. Being close to Jesus doesn't equal being like Jesus. In fact, if you look in Acts, if you look through uh, the New Testament, the ones who were the closest to Jesus were the ones who betrayed him. The ones who were the most biblical of the day were the ones who said, crucify him the loudest. We like to tie Jesus to whatever traditions we find ourselves in, and we like to tie God's name to whatever we happen to agree with. Well, God's a socialist. No, he's not. God's a Republican. No, he's not. God's Democrat. No, he's not. God's green. Nope. God's God. But because we're so steeped in our tradition, we have a lens that we think God is exactly like we are, and we make God into our own image. We make an idol of God. He looks, thinks, dresses, smells, has the same taste in music and movies as we do. And anyone who doesn't agree with us, we say the same thing. They must be demon-possessed. We get so wrapped up in what we do that we don't know why we do it. And this is the great thing about light. Jesus comes in and he has one of these big spotlights and he shines it on him and goes, look, I'm exposing something in you. You are worshiping here, but you're missing the point of it. Light exposes what you do. Sometimes our eyes get so adjusted to the darkness that we live in that we don't even know it's dark outside. And then the light comes and exposes what is at the core of our hearts. Jesus exposes their faith for becoming more about power and control than, and traditions than it did about remembering what God did for them. If you look in Leviticus 23, it gives you the outline of what they were actually supposed to celebrate. It says nothing about dumping jugs of water out. It says nothing about candelabras. They filled this tradition, this festival, with so much more stuff because it looked cool, sounded neat, and felt religious And it never really was. Sometimes we do the same thing. We come to church on Sunday out of mere habit or because you woke up and had nothing else to do. And we forget the main reason why we come, to be in a community of like-minded people who are seeking Jesus in the world and in their lives and worshiping him. We get so steeped in our weekly rhythms that we forget the main point of the rhythm. And light exposes that in us. When Jesus comes and says, why are you here? And I'm glad you're here. But why are you here? Are you here to worship? Are you here because this is just what you do on Sunday at 8.41 a.m.? Are you here because you were awake? Or are you here because you love Jesus? Are you here to learn more about him? Are you here to be around the people of him and learn how you can be a light in the world around? Light exposes that. And the more you draw yourself closer to the light, the more those things will be exposed to you. Light also has another aspect, and light guides. 
I spent two weeks in Mozambique with my dad. He, he made a, a work team, and we went over there. We were in uh, northern Mozambique. It was the bush, is what they called it, and there was nothing around. We landed at an at old airport, and there was a missionary pilot there that his job was to take his Cessna and fly into the most remote parts of, of his area of Africa, of Western Africa, and drop off medical supplies to the missionaries that were living out there. He would also take people back that had stepped on a landmine, and he would be the, their ambulance back to the major cities. And his hangar was falling apart. And so we went over there with this big group of people, and before the rainy season, we, re we rebuilt their hangar. Why we were there, we stayed about 10 miles out of town at a, at a camp. Like a, it was a Bible translator camp. It had walls around it, and this is just where we stayed. They said it's the safest place for Americans to be. And we were there. The whole camp was run on generator power. At night, when they said lights out, it was seriously lights out. It would get cloudy at night. There'd be no moon. And you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to use the facilities. However, the facilities are 100 yards that way and it's pitch black. When I say pitch black, I mean it's so dark. Couldn't see anything. They had these little tiny... Uh, um, like solar powered lights, you know, those things aren't very strong. And it was like, like 10 years ago and they hadn't really got brighter yet. And they were every like five or 10 yards to the bathroom facilities. But these little tiny lights kept you on the right path. The, the missionaries there told us a fun story that scared the jeepers out of me. And they said, yeah, if you go too far off the path, we saw a black mamba over there. I was like, oh, what's a black mamba? And they said, well, if you get bit by one, you're dead. I was like, oh, great. Uh, wonderful. Now I have to walk on this, and if I step too far, what if does the black mamba know not to come on the trail? Because that would be even more helpful. And so the whole time you're walking, you're like, please stay on this path. These lights would guide you into the right spot and take you to where you need to go at three in, three in the morning. But the smallest of lights in that very dark section where there was no power, there was no lights for miles. The smallest of lights were like halogens in the middle of the night. They lit up everything. It's because my eyes were so adjusted to it being so dark outside that the smallest light my eyes were drawn to. Light guides. At night, during this festival of booths, they would light these, uh, the final night, they would light these big chandeliers, these big candelabras, and they would have this festival, and those lights guided people towards the temple, and they were a reminder of the fiery cloud in Exodus that told them when to stop and when to go. Remember in Exodus, there was a cloud by day and a fire by night that hovered over the tabernacle, and when the cloud moved or when the fire moved, you moved. And it was their guidance. And this was the time where they celebrated God's guidance through the wilderness. And that's what these uh, lights were supposed to, were supposed to remember, have them remember. This is when God guided us. They were a symbol of God's glory that hovered over the camp. David wrote about these. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's referring back to the lights in Exodus. And in uh, Psalm 119, he's talking about the Torah that comes. He says, your word is the same lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is how they remembered what God did for them. Every year they celebrated this. 
But it was intended to be more than just a mere holiday where everyone camped out in their yards. These lights were guiding them to something more. In Exodus, it took them to the promised land. It guided them from bondage to freedom, gave them daily bread, water from rocks. They were symbols reflecting the main light from God. However, these lights and these water and the bread was intended to be more than just a guide, but something bigger for them than this the festival. Celebrating this festival was a good thing. It was a good thing that they did, and, and, and God had commanded it. However, their joyful activities, they were still missing the point. They started celebrating the guide more than they did the guider. They were adding to it. There was nothing wicked about the activity, but until the priests or until the people actually remembered what it was there for and, it, and their traditions became futile. Somewhere along the line, they became so focused on the light that they forgot about the lighter. They became so uh, focused on the tradition that they forgot about that it pointed to Jesus Christ himself. Instead, they became more and more lost instead of guided to something else. The light guided them from, from bondage, and it guided them to the promised land. And here stands Jesus in the middle of it and said, I'm that same light, this light points to me. I am that light. I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness again, but will have the light of life. In short, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who guided you. I'm the bread, I'm the water, and I'm your guide. And he wants to do more than just take them out of Egypt which happened years and years and years and years ago. He's saying, I'm the one who's going to guide you out of your present slavery to sin and death and take you into the promised land of God, of wholeness, of a relationship between you and God that has been broken since the beginning of time. I'm that light that guides you. This tradition doesn't guide you any, anywhere past the past tense. This is what happened. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one that keeps happening. I'm the one that's going to guide you. And I think for many of us, we often live our lives with God in the past tense. We say, God did this years ago, and we haven't had anything fresh in years. We've gotten so hooked up on that that we can't get past it. And we forget to ask what Jesus is doing in our lives now. And because we forget to ask, we even forget to look. What are some of the things that Jesus is doing right now in you? Where is he guiding you? Not to the step that was 10 years ago, but what's the next best right step for you to take? Who's that person that Jesus wants you to talk to? What's that thing that keeps coming to your mind when you're having a prayer time? And that thing that keeps coming up that Jesus is saying, I think you should do this. Maybe you're like, no, that's too risky. I don't want to do that. that. That's scary. That means uncertainty. But Jesus is saying, I got you. Don't worry. I guided those steps. I can guide this step. The thing about Jesus is he's always lighting our next play. 
He's always thinking ahead. He doesn't say, I've saved you. You're going to heaven. Here's your ticket. Now sit over there and wait for the bus to come. No, he says, I've invited you to something more. Jesus is always wanting more. He's never satisfied with what it was once. There's always a next step. Light exposes those places where you've been stuck Light guides you to the next thing. It's called transformation. God is always transforming us into the next. But in order to get to the next bar on the jungle gym, we have to let go of the last bar. What's this bar that you're holding to and what's the next bar that God is asking you to take? And what's stopping you from doing that? Find Jesus in the present tense. And allow him to guide you to that next step that he's asking you to take. And when you find God in the present, you'll find that it's actually very comforting. That's the last uh, aspect of light I want to look at today. Light is comforting. I was listening to the radio uh, driving across town this week. And they were complaining about the rain, which we've all done this winter. Did you know that since October... Uh, this today will now be our 11th day with mostly sun in six months. And that's why we're all a little bit edgy. Six months, 11th day. Six of those 11 days. Now, when I heard this, it was nine. Six of those 11 days were sunny, but it was like 30 degrees. And so we've been cold This is the coldest and wettest and darkest winter in 32 years. Those of you who are under 32, this is the coldest, darkest winter you've experienced in your entire life. You can say that and it'll be true. (laughs) For those of you who are over 32, this is probably the second darkest, coldest. But it's been cold. Here's what I've noticed and here's what I've loved about since moving to Seattle from California. In California, it's sunny. And it's like, oh, it's sunny, I'm going inside. And then when it's rainy, it's like, let's go out. We have it backwards. Here, it's sunny. And I live just down the street here. And when it's even a little bit sunny, there's no parking on my street. Everyone goes out and they're in it and they're experiencing it. And they're staying. I saw one person the other day going like this. Because we need sunlight. I walked in on one of those nine sunny days. I walked in and I see my wife on the floor like a cat. uh, We have a 15-month-old, so she couldn't really go outside. She was like a cat in the windowsill, soaking up the sun. And I walk in going, are you okay? And she goes, yes, this is so amazing. (laughs) I find myself not like a cat, because there's no way I could ever mimic a cat, But I find myself, whenever it's sunny, moving to someone else's office where the sunlight comes in. We're attracted to the light because it's comforting to us. It does something that vitamin D pills never will. It feels good. It's warm on your skin when you've been so cold. It brightens your eyes. It feels good to look at it. It makes everyone a little bit less edgy. Nicer on the roads, nicer at the bus stop, nicer in line. It tells me that light comforts. On the last day of the festival here, they lit these lights and they attracted people to the temple to worship. They get in a fight with Jesus 
They call him demon-possessed because he healed somebody. Jesus argues back. They accuse him of not having witnesses. This light was all around them. This light was standing right in front of them, but they refused to allow this light to comfort them. They kept taking it away, shoving it away, didn't want any piece of it. And then what happens on the last day of the festival, Jesus and his disciples are walking out of the temple, kind of reminiscent of what happens in in Ezekiel when the glory leaves the temple. Jesus is walking out and his disciples, they bring somebody to him to be healed or this man's blind and he's born blind. And it's the Sabbath day again. And Jesus is like, why not pick another fight? And so he's, the Sabbath day and this man who comes has been blind and they ask him a question. They say, Jesus, this is in John 9 in the very first part, we just read it. Jesus, who sinned in order to make this man blind? They had this thinking in that day that because you are blind, it means someone ahead of you up the chain sinned. So this man's blind. It must be because his dad did this or his mom did that or maybe it's his grandfather. So they try to figure it out and they say, Jesus, who's guilty in this? Why is he blind? And I love Jesus's answer because we do the same thing. I got in a car wreck. It's because I didn't have my devotions that day. Or, or I can't get a job. It's because God's mad at me. We forget that God is also having us wait and wants to produce good fruit. I have all these things happening. It's because God did this, because I did this. We do the same thing, and we start asking the question, where did I go wrong in order to deserve this? We have a very if-then contract with God. If God, you do this. If you get me out of this, I'll go to church every Sunday. Or if I do this, then you will bless me. This is how our relationship works. Jesus sees this and goes, nobody, nobody sinned here. This is not his parents' fault. This, if I can translate it, it's this stuff happens when the world is broken. We have blind people. But watch what Jesus does. He bends down, he picks up the mud, he puts it on the person's eyes, and the person is healed. Jesus says, watch what I can do with this person who's trapped in darkness. We live in a very dark world, would you agree? There's darkness all around us. A block that way, drive it in the middle of the night, you'll see darkness everywhere, brokenness. We live in a world where there's racism. We live in a world where people are judged before you even talk to them. We live in a dark, broken world. And we start looking around going, well, who's to blame for this? We're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking who's to blame and who do we put in jail, who do we lock up, what if we started asking the question, that same thing Jesus said, what can God do in this? How is light going to penetrate this darkness, even darkness that is so far away from ever being light? Ephesians, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Matthew changes it a little bit and says, we are the salt and light of the world. In Ephesians, Paul talks about how we've been given the light to go out. Guess what that makes us? We're all lights of the world. And we live in a dark world. You are going to have conversations that I will never be able to have because I work with people like Eric who are Christians. Maybe. Maybe. Sorry, bud. 
But you are going to be in a world of darkness and you find yourself in a conference room with somebody who is embodying something that you go, that is not very Jesus-like. This is darkness. Some of you might be social workers and you find yourself face-to-face with the worst situations that you can ever imagine. Some of you might be teachers and you see kids who are coming into your classrooms who are abused, neglected, Some of you might have co-workers who are addicted to drugs. Some of you might have a boss that is doing inappropriate things with someone down the hallway. Some of you might have a supervisor that is very unfair. Some of you might have seen what's happening up here on Aurora or underneath the Ballard Bridge or what was going on in the jungle. You see the brokenness. Well, guess what that makes us? Agents of light that we can go and be comforting and expose where there's hurt, expose where there's brokenness and say, Jesus is offering you light and comfort and warmth. I have a nephew, his name's Carson. When he was five years old, we were all doing something at my parents' house in California and their, their house backed up to this natural preserve. It was like the wilderness for Orange County. And, and so what would happen is we would have a bonfire out at, the, at night and all this family would be around. And my dad had this six million watt or light can, uh, flashlight, huge, it was bright. He would use it to shine out uh, coyotes or mountain lions at night or sometimes he'd just make his neighbor mad and shine it into his, the bedroom. And so he gives this light to my nephew who's five and he's just beaming like, oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing. He shines it in his eyes because I'm the bad uncle that told him to look at it when he did it and that was fun. But he he takes this light and he runs, he sets it down and he runs and he goes and gets his coat, puts on his shoes and he's ready to go for an adventure. And we're like, Carson, what are you up to, man? He's like, I got a flashlight. I got to go find dark. (laughs) What? He's like, yeah, I got to go find dark and make it light. And I instantly thought, well, that'll preach one day. I'm going to hold on to that one. (laughs) But this is what Carson did. Everywhere he went and goes, it's not dark there anymore. And he'd hit the trigger and it'd be like sunlight. It's not not dark there anymore. And he hit the trigger and it'd be like sunlight. In many ways, we need to embody that same thing that my nephew Carson did. And we need to have this big light that we have, and it's called Jesus. He says, you are the light of the world. You take this light out. You've been made light. Go and shine this light in the darkest corners of your world. But I want to encourage us to do something else first. Before we go out and just shine all this light around to people and make them see, I wonder what it would be like if we shined it on ourselves first. What are the dark places in your life that you keep hiding? What are those dark places in your life where the light comes and instantly it's it's like the bugs that go searching for darkness and you're like, no, 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 don't look there, whatever you do. Ignore this, ignore this. Where are the dark spots in your life that you keep concealing? Maybe it's shame for something you did once. Maybe it's guilt because you haven't really learned that God forgives you before you even can forgive yourself. What's the places where you need that light to expose 
and you need that light to guide back to Jesus. And then finally, you need that light to comfort you. Where are those places that you have in your life? But before you go do anything, shining the light on anybody else, what's happening here? Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are light. And because you are light, Lord, we try and you have called us to be light to you. Lord, you said this in Isaiah. You said, I, the Lord, have called you into righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you a covenant to my people to open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives of prison, and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. And Lord, this morning, many of us find ourselves in darkness. Lord, may you shine light into our worlds. May you shine light into our souls. Lord, we find our neighborhoods in darkness. Lord, may you show us these ways where we can shine light of you into those places. And Lord, may you guide us towards you in all of this. In Jesus' name.